Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 13, 14 and 15 of Divergent. So where we left off, the Dauntless initiation process was just ongoing. They did a little field trip to the fence to talk about jobs, but then they didn't really talk about jobs. And then they played Capture the Flag which sounds exciting, but it really wasn't. There was paintball, but we barely saw any paint get thrown. But Triss is really starting to do well, but she's not getting along with these meanies that are in her little initiation class. I think they're candor or erudite. I don't know what they were, but they're dauntless now and they're mean to her. So we start chapter 13. She's trudging to the training room. It's the next morning after the paintball. She's always trudging about And yeah, she's tired. She's yawning because they're up all night playing paintball slash climbing Ferris wheels, running around a crumbling Chicago. So yeah, I don't know why they had to do training the next morning right on the dot. I would have said, you know what? Sleep in guys. But I guess the Dauntless don't do sleep ins. And Eric, if you'll remember, he was on the opposing team that lost the capture the flag. Even though he wasn't really on the team, he was just like supervising. That's how I took it. Like four was just supervising the other team, but Eric took it personally. She says, Eric stands in the middle of the room, his posture so rigid, it looks like someone replaced his spine with a metal rod. And apparently he's actually more of a sloucher usually. So the fact that he's standing upright, whoa, something's going on. Something is ruining with Eric's mood. And this chapter, he's just a bit of a prick. And he says, stage one's almost finished. Today, you're going to learn how to throw knives. So she picks up some knives. She says they aren't as heavy as guns. No shit, Sherlock. But they still feel strange in my hands, like I am not allowed to hold them. Did she ever cut up food when she was in abnegation? Or was she just using a fork and a spoon all her life? It's just a knife, sweetie. And then her and Christina are talking about how Eric's in a bad mood. And apparently Eric's giving a poisonous look to four. She's like, winning Capture the Flag is a matter of pride, and pride is important to the Dauntless. (sighs) Why they made a society where pride wasn't one of the traits that they tried to eliminate, I don't know. She says, pride is even more important than reason or sense. (sighs) I don't know if it is. So they all go to practice knife throwing, and she's like, you know what, I'm just going to practice it in my head a few times before I actually throw it. And like, she's 
mimicking the arm movement that Four had demonstrated, but she's not actually throwing everything. And Peter, Peter, who's just this hilarious bully, he says, I think Stiff's taken too many hits to the head. Hey, Stiff, remember what a knife is? Remember what a knife is? I, I, I guess, I guess he's just pointing out the fact that she's not throwing knives, but remember what a knife, why would she forget what a knife is? It's just like, if you're going to be a bully, can you please be a bit funnier, a bit more shady than just being a dickhead? I don't know. But I think with that line, Veronica, as the author, was just setting up Triss for a great comeback because then Peter throws a knife and he doesn't hit the target and she throws a knife and she actually hits the target. Like, well, she hits like the edge of the target, but she connects with the board. And so she says to Peter, hey, Peter, remember what a target is? (laughs) Chicken isn't a great burn, but I guess she's clapping back at him. She took the material that she had and she made what she could out of it. But Christina thinks it's hilarious. Christina snorts and then her next knife hits the target. So I guess this great burn from Triss has just inspired Christina to aim better. That's the implication. And then a half hour later, Al is the only one who hasn't hit the target yet. Oh, poor Al. He's just not suited to Dauntless. And he's still missing. So Eric comes up to him and he's like, how slow are you, Candor? Do you need glasses? Should I move the target closer? And Al turns red. <laughs> oh, poor Al. Al, you're not cut out. I kind of have a suspicion that Al's going to drop out and become factionless. I sort of think that's where his character arc is going. And Al doesn't say anything. So Eric's like, what was that? And he like leans in closer to Al being like, huh? What are you going to say? And Al's like, uh, it slipped because he just threw a knife and it landed on the floor. And he's like, well, why don't you go and get it? And everyone's like, ooh, Eric, you're being, a, you're being a bit nasty. They're like, we've seen Eric angry before, but this is different. The look in his eyes is almost rabid. So I believe Eric's talking to Al like down the line and Tris can somehow still see Eric's eyes. Even though she's throwing knives at a target at the corner of her eye, she's like, oh, there's anger in Eric's eyes. I can see it. And she's also like, Eric's talking quietly to Al, but she can hear the dialogue. And cause she's telling us the dialogue. <laughs> so I don't know where she is in relation to Al. They must be next to each other, even though I believe she's next to Christina, whatever. And so then Eric's like, go and collect that knife, but everyone else is going to keep throwing knives. And Al's like, but, but everyone's still throwing. I don't want to get hit. And she says, Eric smiles a little, but his eyes stay cruel. So she's just really zeroed in on Eric's eyes. And Al's like, no. And Eric's like, why not? (laughs) And his beady eyes fix on Al's face. (laughs) She must be standing next to him because this is just a lot of detail about what's going on with Eric's eyes. And he's like, are you afraid? And Al's like, of getting stabbed by an airborne knife? Yes, I am. And she's like, oof bad move there, Al. That was poorly played. If you were just defiant, Eric would have respected it, but honesty is your mistake. And poor Al, I guess because he grew up in Canada, he just can't not be honest. It's just so ingrained in him. Even though when was the last time Triss was selfless? Not a single abnegation quality has stuck to poor Triss, 
But Al, oh, he just can't help being honest. So Eric's like, everybody stop. And he says to Al, go and stand in front of the target. And then he calls over four and he's like, four, give me a hand. And four is meanwhile scratching one of his eyebrows with a knife point, which feels dangerous. And apparently four has dark circles under his eyes and a tense set to his mouth. He's as tired as we are, she thinks. And now it's actually been confirmed for us that the rest of the initiates are lined up against the edge of the wall. So she's not anywhere near Eric, but she's still spotting those dark circles. She has eagle vision. So he says to Al, look, what's going to happen is you're going to stand there. Four's going to throw knives at the target behind you and you're going to learn not to flinch. And Four's like, that's not really necessary, is it? But his face and body are tense, apparently. (laughs) So then Eric and Four are having a little silent standoff staring at each other. And Eric's like, I have the authority here, remember? And he says it so quietly she can barely hear him. Yet she does hear him because she's recounting it to us. And then colour rushes to Four's face and his grip on the knives tighten and his knuckles turn white as he turns to face Al. Oh my goodness. Is she wearing binoculars? And then she's looking at Al's dark eyes and his shaken hands and the determined set of Four's jaw. And she is just really tracking every minuscule movement in expression. And then she's like, all right, stop guys, stop it. And she says, any idiot can stand in front of a target. It doesn't prove anything except that you're bullying us, which as I recall is a sign of cowardice. Ooh, she's really spinning the dauntless rhetoric back on Eric. Although you can't reason with crazy Tris, so just calm down. Just stay in your lane, babe. And like the aptitude test said that Tris was brave and selfless and smart, but she's not being very smart. So Eric calls her on her bluff and he's like, well, why don't you go and stand there in his place? So she does. And then she can hear Peter say, there goes your pretty face. Oh, wait, you don't have one. Peter, you're getting better with your burns, but that's still not great. There goes your pretty face. Oh, wait, you don't have one. (laughs) That's just so, what, 13-year-old, 14-year-old humour? Maybe even younger. Is that like eight-year-old boy on the school ground humor? I think it is. Like, Peter, lift your game, bud. And Al's like, fuck yeah. So Al walks back to the crowd. They swap places. And she's there standing in front of the target. And she's like, I'll be fine. Four won't hit me. But she is a bit nervous. And she's thinking, I will not flinch. If I flinch, I prove to Eric that it's not as easy as I said it was. I prove that I'm a coward. And I was like, not really. He just sort of prove that it's a natural instinct to flinch when there's a knife flying at your face. You could have evil Knievel or any other daredevil take that place and they'd still flinch because that's just a human reaction. And Four's like, if you flinch, Al takes your place. It's like, oh, fuck's sake. Does it really matter if she flinches? She's brave enough to be standing there. Like, come on. So Four throws a knife, doesn't hit her in the face and she doesn't flinch. How about that? And then Four's like, you about done stiff? And I'm like, why are you aggravating her and calling her a stiff? You're so rude, Four. Is it because you've got a crush on her? And then Four's like, eyes open. And then he taps the spot between his eyebrows. (laughs) I'm not sure why. Like, yeah, I think she understood the words eyes open. She didn't need the demonstration of you tapping your head, especially because her eyes were shut when you said it. So I don't know how she... How she saw him tapping the spot between his eyebrows unless he did it after he said eyes open. And then why are you you tapping that? Is that 
Are you saying maintain eye contact? But then why would you tap your own head? <sighs> Beats me. So he throws another one, doesn't hit her, but it's closer. And he's like, come on, Stiff, let someone else stand there and take it. Like, what for? Like, whose side are you on here? And she says, shut up, four. <laughs> and then he throws the last knife and it nicks her ear and her ear starts to bleed a little bit. And she's like, judging by the look he gives me, he did it on purpose. Yeah, he might be teaching you a lesson since he's your teacher. And then Eric's like, all right, that's enough for today. (laughs) But they did like half an hour of knife throwing and that's it. And Eric squeezes Triss's shoulder. Like he's proud of her and she's like, ugh. She says, I don't return Eric's smile. And then everyone's leaving, but she's lingering back to talk to Four. And she's like, you did that on purpose. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I did. And you should thank me for helping you. And she's like, thank you. You almost stabbed my ear. Why should I thank you? And he says, you know, I'm getting a little tired of waiting for you to catch on. And she doesn't get what he means. And I'm not entirely sure what he means either. I think he thinks he's being really transparent and obvious, but I don't know if he is. It's either he's being like, I have a crush on you, silly. Let's go make out. Or it's like, hey, maybe stop standing out so much because you're acting all divergent and maybe you should dial it back a notch, which could very possibly be it. How he knows about divergence and all that nonsense, I don't know, but we'll find out. And she calls him sadistic and he's like, I'm not sadistic. And then he says, if I wanted to hurt you, don't you think I would have already? And then he crosses the room and slams a knife so hard into the table that it sticks there. And then she screams frustrated and wipes some of the blood from her ear. And that's the end of that chapter. What a flop chapter, so boring bit of knife throwing. Okay, sure, fun. What are we at the circus? And then we go to chapter 14 and it's the day before visiting day and it's all she can think about. She's like, oh God, I can't wait for visiting day, even though I'm not quite sure that my parents will actually visit me. (laughs) And it's the morning. So she's trying to get dressed and this is, oh, this is the most ridiculous scene. She tries to pull a pant leg over her thigh and it gets stuck just above the knee. And she's like, what? And then she looks down at her leg and a bulge of muscle is stopping the fabric. And she's like, whoa. And then she looks at the back of her other thigh and she's like, ah, another muscle stands out there. She says, another muscle. And so then she looks in front of the mirror and she sees muscles that she couldn't before in her arms, her legs, her stomach. And she pinches her side where a layer of fat used to be, you know, love handles. We all have them. And she says, nothing is there. There's no hint at the curves to come. What? Nothing, she says. So overnight, she's become a bodybuilder and she's just packing on muscle. Just overnight. (laughs) I don't think so. It's been like two weeks, if that. And all they've done is fight and shoot guns and throw knives. Like she's not actually going to the gym working out. I mean, yeah, she's been running for the train a lot. I guess that's cardio. But I don't think she's been hitting the gym hard enough to have like out of the blue next day muscles. And I'm sorry, but what fabric are you wearing that they don't even have any stretch that you can't get them over your little bulge of muscle, even though you're wearing those same pants yesterday? Buy some fabric with a bit of stretch. But no, apparently she's a bodybuilder overnight. And so she goes to have a shower. She comes back wrapped in her towel because obviously she can't get into her pants. There's no way she could possibly get those pants on because of that little thigh muscle. But she gets back into the dorm while holding her towel and there's Peter, Molly and Drew, the bullies. 
and they start snickering as she comes in. And she says, Molly's snort laugh is louder than everyone else's. She says Molly snorts like all the time. Molly must have the like most little pig nose pug face. (laughs) And then while she's reaching over into a drawer to get out a dress, Peter like grabs her towel and then yanks it. And they, they yank the towel off her. So she's naked. That's some mean spirited hazing. And they're like, didn't realize you were so skinny, stiff. And I was like, skinny. She was just telling us that she's bloody thick with muscles. Doesn't even have a love handle to spare. And you're calling her skinny. I thought she'd be, she's big and bulging. She can't even fit into her pants. And then Peter's looking her up and down, scrutinizing her every floor, which is very invasive. Oh, sorry, I misspoke. He hasn't full yanked the towel yet. He's just intimidating her. And she tries to leave. And that's when Molly's like, look at her. She's practically a child, which I think means she doesn't have boobs. I don't know. And then he, he yanks the towel off her. And Drew's like, she might be hiding something under that towel. Why don't we look and see? And it's like, okay, Drew, back the fuck off, dude. So yeah, they yank the towel at that point And then laughter erupts. They all think it's hilarious. And she's holding the dress against her body. And she sprints out of the dorm and goes to the bathroom to get changed. And she's sobbing because obviously she's violated. That's pretty fucking rough. So then she puts on the dress, which is plain black with a V-neck that shows the tattoos on her collarbone and goes down to her knees. I'm assuming she's saying the dress comes down to her knees, not the V-neck line. But the way the sentence is constructed, it could be, it could be misconstrued. And you know what? She's feeling rage. And she's like, I know we've got a fight today. I hope I can beat Peter up. So she goes, she gets another pair of pants from the shop. Okay. And then she goes to the training room and she's like, oh, who am I fighting? Who am I fighting? Please be Peter. Please be Peter. And she's fighting Molly. And she said, not Peter, but good enough. And Al's like, oh, you look on edge. Poor Al. You're not suited to this lifestyle, bud. And Al has to fight Christina before Triss's fight with Molly. And Al just, he, he falls down pretty quickly and plays dead. And Eric shakes his head. Al, you're not long for this world, bud. So then it's time for her versus Molly. Pig face, snorty Molly. And Molly goes, was that a birthmark I saw on your left butt cheek? God, you're pale stiff. What, they're all living in a cave. How is she the only pale one? Everyone should be pale. They're living in a bloody place called the pit. And the only recreation they have is going down to the chasm. Yeah, I I imagine she would be pale. And also you saw a birthmark on her left butt cheek. I think we all know what we're all thinking. Lesbian. (laughs) And so they're ready to fight. And she's like, Molly will make the first move. She always does. And I was like, okay, but four did tell you to get in early, get a punch in early and you might win. And here she is waiting for Molly to make the first move. Like, what have you, what have you learnt, Triss? To, to be fair to her, they don't really teach her much, do they? They're more like, go fight each other and just like learn by doing. And I'm like, yeah, but you could maybe tell them some theory. It's like in Harry Potter when Umbridge became the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and she was making them all just read from a textbook and they're like, oh, theory, gross, we need to do it. And you know what? A part of me was sort of like, yeah, read your fucking textbooks. You spend all this money at the start of each year going to Hogwarts for all these textbooks. Every year they go to bloody... Flourish and Bots or whatever that shop is. And the list is huge and the poor Weasleys can't afford all the books. They're buying secondhand books. They're sneakily 
getting given Tom Riddle's diary because they can't afford all these books because they're expensive books and they're not even using them. Like, yeah, use the books. Lupin never pulled out the book. If I was bloody Molly Weasley, I'd be like, Ron, did you use your textbook this year? And if he said no, I'd be really disappointed in Hogwarts as an establishment. So when Umbridge was like, read the book, I was like, yeah, I get it. Because, you know, when I went to uni, a lot of the times you would buy a textbook and never read the thing. And I'd be like, well, why have I got this textbook now? Why did you make me go and buy this textbook for God knows how much? Textbooks are the most expensive things and you never bloody use them. And they're always like, oh, here's a printout of a journal article that you can just have. And I'm like, what? Then why did I buy the textbook? So you know what? Umbridge was right. She's not the real villain. She was a good teacher. And if they just sat there and copied down notes from the board and listened, maybe they would know enough to defeat the Dark Lord. And they didn't need to go and have a little Dumbledore's army in the Room of Requirement. (sighs) I take it all back. Umbridge is the villain. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just think textbooks are too expensive. Where were we? Anyway, Molly, she's like deflecting a few good punches, but Triss notices that her hands are, are too high up protecting her face. So she's like, all right, I'll punch you in the gut. So Triss punches her in the gut and that really wins Molly and she flops over. And then she starts kicking the shit out of Molly's head, her stomach, just kicking, kicking, kicking as hard as she can into her ribs. And she's really enjoying it. And she thinks, my mother and father would not approve of my kicking someone when she's down. Well, you you know what? Your mother and father wouldn't approve of you kicking anyone when they're up. They wouldn't approve of you kicking anyone at all. I don't think it's exclusive to kicking when she's down. They're abnegation. They don't approve of you bloody looking at someone or shaking someone's hand or asking a question at the dinner table. There's not much they approve of. So Molly's bleeding at this point. She's like kicking, kicking, kicking. And then eventually Four's like, hey, come on. (laughs) So Four pulls Triss off of Molly. And Triss is looking at the blood-covered face, the colour deep and rich and beautiful in a way. (laughs) So Triss is turning into a bit of a monster, isn't she? And I'm like, this is our protagonist? I mean, yeah, Molly was like a bullying lesbian, but like there's there's no excuse to really beat the shit out of her. And Four's like, I think you should leave, take a walk. And she's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she narrates to us, I wish I could say I felt guilty for what I did. I don't. End of chapter. Mic drop. And you can really see how the aptitude test was like, you're not Amity because she was not being kind to little old Molly. But also the aptitude test led us to believe that she was, you know, abnegation as well as dauntless and erudite. I don't think she's very well suited to abnegation. Not not through what she's been showing us. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Then we get to chapter 15. It's visiting day. And the first sentence of the chapter is visiting day, full stop. So she's really setting the scene for us, isn't she? She has such a way with words, this Veronica Roth. Like, that's not even a full sentence. Visiting day, full stop. Like, come on, bitch. Can you at least try and build a sentence for us? So she wakes up, she sees Molly hobbling across the dormitory, (laughs) her nose purple between strips of medical tape. That's what you get, Molly. That's what you get. And she sees that Peter and Drew aren't in the room. So she's like, all right, I can get dressed. And she says everyone in the room is silent because they know that they might go down into the pit floor and not see their family. Although, spoiler alert, it does seem like everyone's family has arrived. All book long, she's been like, you know, it's super rare for families to actually visit on visiting day. Don't even know why we have a visiting day since no one ever visits on visiting day. Neck minute, everybody visits on visiting day. And then Eric comes in and he's like, hey guys, bit of advice. And he says, if by some miracle, your families do visit you, which I doubt. Again, I'll remind you, everybody comes. (laughs) Every family member attends. But he's like, if by some miracle, which I doubt, make sure you don't get too attached. We take the phrase faction before blood very seriously here. Attachment to your family suggests you aren't entirely pleased with your faction, which would be shameful. Understand? I was like, mate, all of these kids... All of these 16-year-old kids actively chose Dauntless knowing that they wouldn't see their families again. They actively uprooted their whole entire life just to be a part of your group. And you're like, don't be overly enthusiastic with your parents. Otherwise, we won't think you want to be here. Like, yeah, if they didn't want to be here, they wouldn't be here. And she can hear the threat in Eric's voice. She's like, We are dauntless now. We need to act accordingly. God, I think they're setting them up for a fail then. Then don't have a visiting day, if that's the case. If it's faction before blood, maybe don't don't have visiting day. Or maybe don't let them pick another faction if you guys are going to be like this. Stupid. And Eric's like, I may have underestimated you, Stiff. You did well yesterday. 
And I'm like, okay, you just told us faction before blood. You're dauntless, be dauntless. And now he's calling her a stiff, which is a nickname for abnegation. Like, okay, have it both ways much, Eric. And so while she's staring at him for the first time since she beat Molly up, guilt pinches her gut. I was like, okay, you just were telling us that you don't feel guilty at all. And now she's a little bit guilty. She's like, if Eric thinks I did something right, I must have done it wrong. You're only now just suspecting that you maybe shouldn't have beat that girl up and kicked her face so much that she's bleeding. Like, okay, sure. So she walks out. She can see Christina and Will ahead of her having a laugh. She says, Al is missing. I didn't see him in the dormitory and he's not walking toward the pit now. Maybe he's already there. Mmm, something's going on with Al, guys. Either he's dropped out to be factionless, someone's killed him in the middle of the night, I don't know, but I think Al is not long for this world. And she's checking her clothes, being like, oh, am I covered up? My pants are tight and my collarbone is showing. My parents won't approve. It's like, yeah, well, you just got a haircut and a tattoo. They also won't approve about that. Like, you're only allowed to have a haircut on the second Tuesday of every third month, as long as it's a full moon. Like, I think they're already going to be pissed off as soon as they see you. Just a hunch. And then she's thinking, you know what? Who cares if they approve? This is my faction now. And these are the clothes I wear. And she says clusters of families stand on the pit floor. She does admit that most of them are dauntless families with dauntless initiates. Why they need a visiting day? It's still unclear to me. Oh, she does admit that Drew and Molly, they're standing at the other end of the room because their parents didn't come. Aww. Nope, she doesn't feel bad for them. She says, at least their families didn't come and she suppresses a smile. She's a little bit of a bitch, Outrius. She is pretty vindictive and I kind of like it. But Peter's family did come and she's thinking, God, do do his parents know what kind of a person their son is? And then there's Will, and he's standing next to a woman in a blue dress. Because they're erudite, they wear blue. But she doesn't look old enough to be his mum, probably a sister. I'm like, okay, yep. And then she looks over to Christina, and she's hugging, okay. She's hugging a dark-skinned woman. (sighs) Just like, okay. We didn't have to mention Will's sister's skin. We didn't mention... Peter's family's skin, but here we are mentioning Christina's family's skin because they're dark-skinned. I I just, I don't feel comfortable with this. For everyone else, she's like, oh, they're wearing black and white, the candy uniform. They're wearing blue, the erudite uniform. They're dark-skinned. Like, okay, can we not just talk about their clothes? Far out. And then she sees her mum and she's alone. And she thinks, oh, she's never looked more out of place with her gray slacks and gray jacket. (laughs) Her hair in its simple twist. (laughs) Oh, this poor abnegation woman. She looks so boring. So she's running towards her. And for a second, her mum is like blank. Like she doesn't recognize Tris. It's like, yeah, you got a haircut. And then her eyes light up and she's like, oh, Beatrice. And then they're hugging, even though abnegation don't like to hug. I guess they're hugging. Rules be damned. And then her mum's like, well, look at you, you filled out. (laughs) So she's noticed that she's grown a muscle on her thigh. She's like, wow, I only saw you last week, but look at you, you got muscles now. What is her routine? I need to get onto her eating regimen. Well, she can't be eating that well. Every breakfast she's having a muffin and every night she's having a hamburger. So maybe she's doing that, that dirty, dirty macro thing. What's that thing? Lean gains, dirty gains. She's doing dirty gains. That's what she's doing. I, I, I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't really know what 
what I'm talking about, but I guess she's doing that, that if it fits your macros, eat like a pig, gain muscle. Anyway, I want to find out. I'd love to get on her regimen. Do you know what? I hate all these Instagram influencers. Just for another tangent, these Instagram influencers are like, here's the secret to shredding. And then you click, okay, well, what's the secret? And you open up the little Instagram caption, you expand it. And they're like, just don't eat. And I was like, what? Like, I literally saw this the other day. He's like, here's the trick. Just get comfortable with being hungry. And I was like, what? And he's like, you know what I like to do? I just like to have a big bottle of water with maybe like a little bit of salt in it to cut through the hunger. And then I just drink that and I don't eat. And that's what I do on a shred. And I was like, are you actually out here telling people not to eat and to just drink salty water? Like you're not a nutritionist, bro. Anyway, back to the book. These aren't the most interesting chapters for me. And that may be why I'm tangenting all over the place. But yeah, so she's having a chat with her mum, and she says to her mum, tell me how you are. And she's like, ah, enough about me. I came to see you. She's like, it's my gift to you. And she's thinking, oh, my selfless mother, she should not be giving me gifts. And I was like, okay, just because she says her presence is a gift to you doesn't mean it's a real gift. You know, like a nice candle, that's a real gift. The only present is your presence. Like, nah, screw that. You know, when people put that on like birthday invitations, they're like, oh, no presents, just your presence. Like, fuck off, I'm getting you a card at least. And so she's happy to be in her mum's presence um, because she realizes that she hasn't had a lot of affection in the past couple of weeks. Well, she says the last week and a half. So they've only been doing the initiation process for a week and a half and she's already built up a ton of muscle. And she says, at home, we did not touch each other often. And the most I ever saw my parents do was hold hands at the dinner table. Okay, well, you were just hugging your mum a second ago, but apparently you guys don't touch. Okay, sure. And she's like, where's dad? Is he visiting Caleb? Which is a great point. Like parents with different kids and different factions. I suppose they're just meant to be in two places at once. Visiting day, not very well thought out. And she's like, nah, your father had to be at work. And she says, he's been selfish lately. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you, I promise. And she's stunned. She's like, my father, selfish? Remember, because that's the one thing that he's not meant to be because he's in abnegation. (laughs) And she's like, more startling than the label is the fact that she assigned it to him. I don't know if that is more startling, but whatever. And she's like, well, she must be angry. If she calls him selfish, she must be angry. And she's like, well, are you going to go visit Caleb later? And she's like, oh God, wish that I could. But Erudite have prohibited abnegation visitors from entering their compound. (laughs) If I tried, I would be removed from the premises. Okay, you're the government, just overrule them. Why do Erudite have all this power when you're the government? And also, I don't know why Erudite hate abnegation so much. They're like, oh, they're selfless. How dare they? (laughs) It's like, okay, calm down. She tells us that tensions between their factions are higher than ever. She says, I wish it wasn't that way, but there is little I can do about it. Is there? Is there? Your husband's on council. Uh, He's he's a high ranking member of the government. Could there not be a way around that? I don't know. And then she looks over, there's four standing alone by the railing. And she thinks, though he's not an initiate anymore, Most of the Dauntless use this day to come together with their families. Either his family doesn't like to come together or he wasn't originally Dauntless. And then she's like, oh, which faction could he have come from? Okay, foreshadowing. Um, But also, uh, I don't understand why Dauntless can't see their families when they're in Dauntless. I I just don't get it. And so then her mum's like, oh, who's he? He's handsome. (laughs) And and Tris nods along. (laughs) And then they must... They must have been walking towards him or something because then all of a sudden her mum's like offering her hand 
to four and she's like, hello, my name is Natalie. I'm Beatrice's mother. And she thinks I've never seen my mother shake hands with someone. And then four eases his hand to hers looking stiff and he shakes it twice. And she thinks the gesture looks unnatural for both of them. No, four was not originally dauntless if he doesn't shake his hands easily. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's the tip off. Yep, he doesn't shake hands easily. Then he's not dauntless. Only Dauntless can shake hands easily. And I think now's a good time to spoil you guys that she starts to suspect later on at the end of the chapter that her mother was born Dauntless and transferred to abnegation. So she has this whole big theory, like, oh my God, my mother was born Dauntless. But if that were the case, why is she shaking his hand with unease? If shaking hands does not come naturally to her, then clearly she mustn't have been in Dauntless because you just said Dauntless shake hands easily. So by your own little presumption, you've cancelled out your other theory, but whatever. And it's like, Four's been in Dauntless for two years. You think he couldn't have picked up maybe how to shake a hand? He's learned how to throw knives. He's learned how to fight people. He's captured bloody flags. But oh, 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 handshakes. Oh, oh, no. There's no possible way you can get used to handshaking. What a freaking idiot. Anyway, Four tells her mum that Triss has been doing well. And she's like, oh yeah, that's good to hear. I know a few things about Dauntless Initiation and I was worried about her. And she's like, you know what for? You look familiar for some reason. And he's like, oh yeah, I I can't imagine why. I don't make a habit of associating with the abnegation. Okay, like you probably should be recognizing each other because as has already been suspected, Four is What's-His-Face's son. She would have seen him in abnegation land for the first 16 years of his life, just two years ago. And because Marcus and Triss's dad are like besties at work and work colleagues and shit, I think you would recognize him, but hey, she doesn't recognize him. She just drops the old, you look familiar thing, just to build, build a case for the foreshadowing that's happening. Anyway, her mother's like, oh, you don't like to mix it with abnegation. Few people do these days. Like, okay, well, clearly the faction system isn't working, but also you're not allowed to mix. <laughs> so yeah, no one would be mixing because you're not allowed. And she thinks maybe four was one of the erudite, which explains why he hates abnegation. (sighs) Think again. Anyway, then a short round woman with a black and white striped shirt touches Triss's arm and she twitches, resisting the urge to smack her hand away. And I think what she's implying is she's like, ah, I'm not used to touch because I was born in abnegation. Please don't touch me. And it's like, okay, if that's your gut reaction, why is your second gut reaction to smack her hand away? That's not really an abnegation quality, is it? <laughs> it's like she builds up these characters and tries to convince us that they all behave in a certain type of way, but then she contradicts it straight away. And like, I guess Triss is divergent and that might explain why she's a bit more complicated and doesn't follow like an established pattern, but like, ugh, everyone's divergent, let's be real. And this woman, she's like, excuse me, do you know my son, Albert? And Triss is like, Albert? Oh, you mean Al? Like, uh, yes, she means Al, Triss. You've also shortened your name from Beatrice to Triss and you don't think Albert could be Al? Uh, Albert? Who could you, who? I've never heard of an Albert. Oh, Al. Like, yes, fucking Al. And she's like, nah, I haven't seen him. He might be up that way. So yeah, we're getting a few little hints that Al has dropped off the face of the planet. And then Al's mother points out the fact that why are there no railings along these paths? Are you all insane? Fantastic point, Al's mother. 
And Triss smiles. She's like, <laughs> I probably thought that way a few weeks ago too. It's like, okay, you just told me it was a week and a half a couple of pages ago. And now you're saying it's a few weeks. Which is it, Triss? And she says, insane? No. Dauntless? Yes. It's like, okay, you're very smug. She's being a smug dauntless. So then she meets Will's family. She meets Christina's dark-skinned family. And then Will's sister says to Will, I can't believe you associate with one of them, Will. And her mother's like, oh, here we go. But she doesn't say anything because, you know, she's selfless. And Will's sister is like, do you know what she is? What she is. She's a council member's wife is what she is. She runs the volunteer agency that supposedly helps the factionless. Will's sister really has got a lot of backstory. And she's like, you think I don't know that you're just hoarding goods to distribute to your own faction while we don't get fresh food for a month? Food for the factionless, my eye. So that's a little interesting tidbit that your erudite don't have food. So yeah, I would be pissed at the government too if I didn't have fresh food for a month. I think the erudite are completely correct and their feelings are valid. Yeah, go on, go on strike. If the government's not giving you access to fresh food, yeah, have a coup. I'd be pissed at them too. And Kara, Will's sister, she's like, ugh, I'm sure you're exactly what you seem. A faction of happy-go-lucky do-gooders without a selfish bone in their bodies. Right. So that makes more sense. They don't actually believe that the abnegation is selfless. They don't hate them because they're selfless. They just think they're pretending, which, okay, makes more sense. I'm team erudite. I'm all for erudite. And Triss, because she's been dauntless for a week and a half, she's all brave. So she's like, hey, don't say another word to her or I will break your nose. And Will is like, hey, Triss, that's my sister. You're not going to punch my sister. And she's like, oh, you think so? (laughs) So she's about to get in a punch up with Will and Will's sister. And then finally, Triss's mum's like, okay, come on, Beatrice, calm down. And so Triss's mum starts walking her away down a corridor towards the dining hall. And then she takes a sharp left and walks down one of the dark hallways that Triss hasn't even been down yet. And she's like, mum, how do you know where we're going? So oh, there's a little hint that she's dauntless, even though she doesn't like shaking hands. And so then she like looks around, no one's around. So she's like, look, Beatrice, I said no questions about me and I meant it, but how are you really doing? How are the fights been? How are you ranked? And she's like, ranked? You know that I've been fighting. You know that I'm ranked. And she's like, look, Beatrice, it's not top secret information. I know how the Dauntless initiation process works. And she's like, I don't think it's that easy to find out what another faction does during initiation. She's like getting suspicious. And she says, well, I'm close to the bottom in the rankings, mum. Which, okay. Actually, you don't know what the rankings are yet. They have not been released. I don't know why you're presuming you're at the bottom. You just beat a chick up. You were the best at target practice. You were brave enough to have knives thrown in your face. You were the linchpin for the capture the flag operation. Why do you think you're doing poorly just because you got beat up once on day one? But her mum's like, good, no one looks too closely at the bottom. Now, this is very important, Beatrice. What were your aptitude test results? (gasps) She knows. She knows that she's divergent. And then she has a little quandary. She's like, do I tell her? Do I not tell her? And she says they were inconclusive. And her mum goes, oh, I thought as much. Many children who were raised abnegation received that kind of result. We don't know why. What? Many? Many? I've been led to believe for the past 15 chapters that divergent is rare. 
that it's super crazy that she's divergent because no one's divergent. She's like the special one. But here her mum's like, oh, many children who are raised in abnegation receive inconclusive results. We don't know why. And she says, Beatrice, stay in the middle of the pack. No matter what you do, don't draw attention to yourself. And Hun, if you only knew what shenanigans she's been running the past couple of days, she's really drawing attention to herself. And she starts to say, is this because I'm a... And she says, don't say that word ever. She like cuts her off by pressing her hand to Trissa's mouth. And it's like, I, I think we're led to believe she was about to say divergent. Was she really going to say a uh, divergent? I thought you'd just say I'm divergent, not I'm a uh, divergent. And she's like, okay, why? And her mom's like, I can't say. And she says, look, there's something I want you to do. I can't go visit your brother, but you can when initiation is over. So I want you to go find him and tell him to research the simulation serum. Can you do that? And she's like, well, no, not unless you explain to me what the hell's going on. And she's like, I can't. And she's like, you know what? I better leave. It will make you look better if you and I don't seem too attached. And she's like, I don't care what I look like. And she says, you should. I suspect they are already monitoring you. So her mum's like, all right, got to go. Bye. Have a piece of cake for me. The chocolate. It's delicious. I love you. And then she's gone. And Triss is like, how does she know what chocolate tastes like? And then she's thinking, wait a minute. She's been to the compound before. She remembered this hallway. She knows about the initiation process. My mother was dauntless. End of chapter. And I'm like, well, she didn't feel comfortable shaking hands. So maybe she's not. (laughs) So her mother's dauntless. How about that? Whoa. Aren't we all just reeling from that revelation? Even though it's just a suspicion, but we're reeling. She knows what chocolate tastes like. She must be dauntless. Ah, ridiculous. Ridiculous. At least we're moving forward with a bit of the, I don't know, espionage plot. We we know something's up with the simulation serum. Something's up with her mum. If the start of the book where she said, for my mum, <laughs> who I modelled Triss's mum after, who has lots of depth and complexity that is not apparent on the surface. If we didn't get that little inscription at the start, I'd be completely shocked, but we did. Spoiler. Anyway, as always, any questions, concerns, hit me up. Email breakingdownpod at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram. You can also reach out to me at breakingdownbadbooks.com for listen links, access to the Patreon link, all of that stuff. I'm really interested to know in how you feel about Professor Umbridge. Did she have a point? Was she a good teacher? And I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.